Would you welcome Pastor Clopas Chitapa? <laughs> uh, okay, so I shared my time with Benaya today. That's all right. <laughs> it is a joy to be among you and to, to have such a unique service. Um, this was very, very special. Uh, my wife told me that our youngest daughter is the last one. I feel like maybe we need another one. There are a few times in life when you get a chance to actually have such an opportunity. And uh, God bless you, uh, Jesse and sister. Um, I, I, I just want to say something to you that I, I do not know <clears throat> much about what Jesse has meant to this church as a person. But... Um, one day I was talking to our senior leadership at one meeting and I said, it's unbelievable how, what kind of heritage this young man grew up in because I have rarely seen a person who understands what be, the, the truest sense of the heart of a missionary is what I learned from, from Jesse. Uh, I've never seen anyone who easily blends with everybody and so much, all you see out of his Life is the love of God and his commitment to Jesus Christ. We appreciate you, brother. You are an amazing and unique person. And uh, I want you to know that God still has a lot to do with your lives, both of you and sister, among the nations of the world. Amen. That's all I wanted to say. God bless you. Thank you so much. Amen. <clears throat> well, I have a very different sermon today. I wanted to just reflect. I promised in the first service that I may not use the podium, so... I understand this is something that is antiquity to you. We still use it in some parts of the world, but let's see how it works with us today. But it's a joy for me always to come and be with Pastor Ronnie and Margaret and spend time with them, uh, sometimes just to eat the best meal I can have around here. And um, <clears throat> I, I was sharing in the morning service about the fact that sometimes I feel a sense like, I don't know whether I'll ever have anything new to share, to share at Springhouse because... The majority of everything that I teach, and I travel a lot now, around the world, actually, I learned it from them. And uh, it remains something that I cherish a great deal. So I was sharing the story of a professor that I read about some years back, who was a very good lecturer, and he would go from place to place, uh, giving lectures at university campuses. So one time, he was so tired, and the driver who would travel with him, I uh, was looking at him, and he kept on talking about the fact that I'm so fatigued, I, I wish I could just rest, but I still have one more lecture to deliver. The driver said, well, maybe I could do it today. He said, what? <laughs> you think you can give this lecture? He said, yeah, you know, for all the years I've driven you, I've sat down, I've listened to every word, and I think I can try today. So they walk into this lecture hall, just like in this room, and then uh, the time comes, the moderator introduces the speaker, and the driver stands up, and he gives the Lecture word for word exactly as it was supposed to be. But afterwards, the moderator then says, now it's question time. We'd like to give the floor an opportunity to ask questions. <laughs> the driver was petrified. He stands there. The guy raises the first question. And then the driver looks at the guy, listens to the question. And he says, what a simple question. 
I did not expect questions to be that simple on this campus. This is so simple that I will not even bother to answer it. I will give my driver at the back there in order to give it. <laughs> and that's what you do sometimes. But I find the moral of the story is how good a disciple someone can be, even if you are the driver. Praise the Lord. And today I want to I share with you, well, you know, one of the things I... I, I, I now come to the United States probably on average three times in a year. And I was sharing last night, I was in Colorado Springs, and I was saying, I am learning that the questions are becoming fewer and fewer, which I have to answer. Years ago, I used to answer a lot of strange questions. Well, fewer now, I, I think the only one I stumbled into this year was like, so you guys, do you have July 4 there in Zimbabwe? <laughs> Yes, we do. It's the day that comes after July 3. (laughs) But it's it's always fun to come to the United States and spend time uh, with different groups of people. And uh, I'm thankful that things are changing a great deal. There's a lot of things that God is doing in this nation in spite of what the media is saying. Amen. And a lot of good things that the world, God's body all over the world is admiring in terms of how the direction that God is taking both the country and the nation to. Amen. Turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew 22. Today I will share something from, uh, that is a title that I have given called The Power of New Affection. Um, And this phrase, if you have ever heard of it before, that's fine. Uh, What you need to hear today is the testimony. Verse 34, 35, 36, and 37 would be the part we will read. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. And I think one of the things that stays in my heart all the time is always to reflect on the distinction of the Christian faith. And what is it that draws people in the house of God or to the church or to become committed Christians? And also what motivates their labor to Jesus Christ? Sometimes that's a real mystery to many people. The phrase that I want to use today, I learned it nearly 30 years ago. When I was a student, in, as a freshman, I was raised in a classical Pentecostal church. We would go to church. I mean, we would do things for God. And we would pray. We would cast out demons. We would do everything uh, that spiritual people should do. And the groups of guys that we would do that together with, we were so committed and we were so excited about everything that we were going through that I remember there was no belief that in us there was any grain of sin that was left. We, we, we felt like we, we have transcended all those things. We, we have no capacity to be able to possibly even entertain anything that is unrighteous. Holiness was a real serious emphasis in everything we do. Still is, but I just know different now. And, and then I went to Bible college. And then I sat under Pastor Ronnie. And I remember one of the most disturbing lessons that I first started learning. He started teaching about the fact that about our salvation, I think, I remember, I think we were doing the book of Romans and we were learning about our nature and the fact that we are saved. But then he said, but the nature of sin is still inside us. 
And we still have potential to actually do the wrong thing if we do not walk in obedience to God. Now, I didn't like that because I wanted to feel like I, I, we, we have got nothing to do with that. You know, if you come home in, in my country, you discover that those things that were happening during those years were very interesting. We, 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 we come from all days when you would even have brothers who literally would greet sisters with a stick, avoiding physical conduct as a way of demonstrating purity. That we never have anything to do with anything that is carnal or the flesh. When I heard that, I was like, what? It's still within me? He says, yeah, it, it is still within you. And I'm saying, so how come I have no passion, no desire, no inclination to any of the things that I used to do in the past? What is this? What has happened to me? And this is the answer that he gave 30 years ago. I, sh- I still believe it's still the same answer today. It's called the power of new affection. That's why I'm having that as a title today. What is that? He said, it's about the love of God that comes inside you. When the Spirit of God quickens your spirit and you're saved, the thing that God does is that by His Spirit, He sheds His love inside you. That love becomes the magnet, attracts you to your maker, that every other persuasion of sin is diminished because of the force of the love. Now, to explain that, he uses his example when he was dating Margaret. Now, this is good. You're getting the correct version because in the morning I... I stumbled through the story. This is a very old story. It talks about the years that he was dating Margaret and what was happening and the fact that they were leaving. He corrected me in the morning and he told me exactly the distance was about 50 miles. But from the new version and the refreshed version, I even found out that it's worse than I thought. He says he would do it every day. He would always go and see Margaret every single day. Driving 50 miles a day. And the distance was not even an issue. That's something that you have to be reminded by someone that, are you aware that you are driving 50 extra miles every single day after work? Now, I've not even done that with my own wife. I believe that. But he would drive that long. That's why the illustration is important. What can make a man go that far, that distance, that long? It's called the power of your affection. When you are in love, you can do anything. You can go any distance because of love. Now, what we don't realize is that it is the same kind of commitment and bond that we should have with Christ Jesus. Because when we come into the kingdom of God, usually we think that it is other factors that actually bind us to God. Is it the keyboard? Is it anything else? No, 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 no. The love of God was shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. His presence inside us and that love that lives inside us is the greatest stimulus that causes us to remain uh, committed and dedicated to God. Even our labor in the house of God. We don't do things in church because of the fact that, oh, this is going to happen or so and so. No, no. The primary thing like Paul talks about it as motivation for ministry. He says the love of God compels us. This is why we do what we do. We are driven by affection. Now think about it. If Christianity was not that unique. It will be the same like any other religion of the world. And the greatest mistake we are making in the world today is to premise and predicate everything about our passion to God based on certain gain or tangible things. So today you find we talk about giving and the primary reason for giving is because I will get this back from God. So we trade with God like as though he is a merchant. The real romance and love that exists between us and our maker is lost. We have a faith and a movement that sometimes becomes equivalent to Islam. Think about this. You know, I have had, I don't know, I don't know him, uh, I, don't, I, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with a real Muslim talking about this. Because I've never really had a conversation with a real terrorist on his way to death. 
But I have heard that they kill themselves because there's some promise of 10 virgins. How many virgins are they supposed to be? Who needs 10 virgins? Have you ever imagined that? I try to think about it so many times and I think, what religion would make your mind think like, imagine telling your wife that, honey, I'm going to die today. Why are you going to die? Say, I'm going to kill myself and I'm going to kill a whole bunch of other people. Why would you do that? Oh, have you not heard about the 10 virgins? I think your wife will look at you and say, what? Is that your reason why you are going to kill yourself? You want to kill yourself? Was I not enough that you would even die for these other 10 whom you do have no clue who they are? Now, who does that? Now, why would people do that? You see that the world and all the other religions of the world, they use other factors to stimulate devotion. They don't necessarily understand the premise of love as the primary thing. In Africa, we have a whole lot of other things like that. Where sometimes you have to... The, the culture has certain things where if you betray the gods... In fact, in, in Africa, we believe the gods never kill you first. They kill you last. They kill all your children. Your wives and everybody you love and finally you so that you really have enough pain. So you attend to everyone's funeral and you'll be the last one. Now, what kind of a God is that? That's the kind of God that people serve in the world. The difference between everything that is worshipped and our God is that our relationship with God is entirely based on nothing else but love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not only that, that love is not what you give to him. That love is what we receive from him. For truly, if we have not received the love of the father, we cannot love the father. And the Bible teaches us that the love of God was exhibited in this fashion, that while we were yet sinners, Christ had already died for us. So God gives us that love, and that love we reciprocate back to him. And we love him, and that is the basis upon which our Christian faith is premised on. Now, you know, I shared in the morning a story about a friend. Recently, I was traveling with my daughters for almost a three-nation tour that we were doing between Zimbabwe, Namibia, South Africa, and the Seychelles. And we were doing ministry in various conferences during that time. And they were serving together, and one gentleman who was part of the team, he was a visitor, he said to me, what is it that you have done to have your children to be part of the ministry and to serve God the way they do. Now, I have no special secret for that. And I was honest with him. But I told him that I have learned that my children have, love, have learned a love for God, which is independent of any pressure from me. They love God so much that sometimes in our home, I can at times wake up 4 a.m. and I can hear the voice of my daughter praying in the lounge by herself, without any special instruction, no promise for anything, nothing. True love, the love of God. And so I was saying to him, when I listened to his story, he started telling me how he raised his daughter and why the daughter was rebellious to the gospel today. And when she started living by herself, she walked away from faith, walked away from the gospel. And I understood out of all that he was telling me how they grew up. Like when you raise them and you, you wake up Sunday morning and you have a chainsaw over her head and you say, you got to go to church. You understand me? Otherwise, we have a bloodbath in this house. When we do that, then you have attendance, but they still don't know the love of God. There must be a place where someone must learn that God truly loves them. They develop an independent relationship that is based upon a romance with their maker. When it's like that, that's what lasts. Believe me, everything that you feel in the house of God will not last if it's not premised on true intimacy with your maker. 
If your reason for coming to church is excitement or any other benefit that you think about and there is no love between you and God, you probably just need God, but you don't love Him. To love God is an amazing thing that really, I I was giving the example that imagine in your house if your wife would make a sandwich and when she finishes it, you sit down and you probably enjoy the sandwich and then afterwards she puts an invoice on the table. Now, how would you feel? What kind of a marriage are we in? (laughs) I mean, if... If that was the case, then I may as well eat any other restaurant and choose whether you are the one this week or someone else is doing it the other week. Because true love will not be existing under those circumstances. What I want to say is, I believe that we need to walk in the love of God. We need to cultivate and build ourselves in the... The Bible shows us that God's desire, the ultimate duty of men, everything that we know about biblical Christianity is that our devotion to Christ is based on our love for Him. Now, when Paul talks about service, And the scriptures talk about the fact that it is the love of God that compels us. Really, for me, sometimes I think about that and I imagine, what is it that makes a person become so mad about the things of God? Sometimes you find even your relatives questioning, what have they done to you? Have you ever heard that? I get a lot of that. What have they done to you? Nothing. I love God so much that I can't help it. That's the reason why I do what I do in the house of God. That's the reason why we go the distance that we go. We talk about giving like Brother Justin was encouraging us to give. And sometimes you think there's a lot of people in the Christian world who have committed themselves to actually sell a concept that you give because you're supposed to get back. That's not the reason why we give to God. We don't give to God because we want to get back. Do people prosper when they give God? Yes, they do. The scripture confirms that. Do people become successful? Does God rebuke the devourer? Do you become financially successful when you give finances to God? Yes, you become successful. The scripture talks about that clearly. But it never gives that as the reason for giving. It always shows you that it's the result. It's what I call the unavoidable result. There's nothing you can do. In fact, in my culture, there's a phrase that we say in vernacular. We say, Oh, wow, this sounded good. And what we really mean is that that's, it's a scripture in the book of Proverbs that talks about the fact that the one who is generous will always be bountiful. And it is true. But never does God ever indicate that that is the reason why you should give. But here we are building ministries entirely to massage the greed of men and men lost the love of God. And all we are concerned about is that I want to get back. I want to. It's like you're giving God with a calculator at hand. 104, 10, 64, 64. Now we must be at 64. So right now in my country, we have a court case in the, in the, in the Supreme Court of a guy who gave a lot of money. And with a calculator at hand, the preacher promised the 104. He didn't get even half of that. So now he wants his money back. He says the investment didn't work exactly according to the mathematical formula the preacher gave me. So I want the money back. And I feel sorry for that because I'm saying to myself, this person should have known that when you give, you give to God because God is love and he loved us enough to give us the greatest gift of all. The scriptures say, if he did not spare his own son, how shall he not together with him give us all things? The love of God is the basis upon which we do everything that we do in the kingdom of God. Compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. We're saying in worship, Worship becomes nothing but a lineup of songs when the love of God is not in you. When you don't understand that singing and worship time is a time of intimacy and romance with God, the words have to do with it. Not much to express your adoration to your maker. 
And to love, you know, you know, the thing with it is that we do it every week. Maybe we do it three times a week. We come to service Wednesday. Maybe we're again in another class, another day again. Now you think, why should I do that? Why can't we just do it once a year on Christmas Day? Oh, the reason why you have to do it is because that's not the way our love works. Maybe here in America. Where I come from, when you marry a wife, you say that I love you, you got to do it every day. So right now I'm on a trip and my wife will have to call me sometimes this evening and it's the same thing again. Now, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Now imagine if I was going to say to my wife, I don't worry about that. I told you that in 1994. Why, why do I have to keep on? Why do I have to keep on saying that? No, I said it in 1994. I said it in 1993. I will say it again in 2020. You have to keep on saying that's the way how love works. You can't say I just did it the last time I did it. That's enough. No. Do you know why God is called a jealous God? That's a strange term in Scripture. The Bible calls God a what? A jealous God. Why is he jealous? What does that mean? It means he does not want his, you, your affection to compete. He doesn't want your love divided. He wants your affection exclusively to him. He told Israel many times that. I want you to love me and to love me and only me and nothing else but me. That's why Jesus says this is the greatest of all commandments. But not only is it the greatest, it's the greatest, it's the first, it's the most important, and it's the consummation of the whole law. When you love God with all your might and all your being, then you are able to love the brothers too. You see, it's funny because up until and only unless you have received the love of the Father, you can't love anyone else correctly. That's why we say in English the word love is a silly word. Because I say I love my husband and I love my cat. That means your cat is equivalent to your husband because you use the same word for both of them. But that's why in the original languages of Scripture, love would always have distinction between phileo, erotica, eros, or agape as we know it. Because the love for God, the unconditional love, the love that has no reason. I, 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 I like the definition that agape love is love without a reason. In other words, if I were to tell you that, if you were to ask God, why do you love me? He probably will not tell you anything. Because the way how he loves you, there's no reason for that. Do you, do you realize when I was young, we would write letters one to another, boyfriend to girlfriend, and express love. It was always expressed in the form of a hat. With a spear that would be drawn right across it. I don't know what that meant. <laughs> I didn't know that that was also true here. That's the way how it worked from my part of the world. And there would be so many letters like that. But you know, have you ever imagined that when I say love without a reason, it's like when you love someone, sometimes you can spend a lot of time trying to describe the reason why you love them. Oh, I love you. I love you very much because you sing so well. I love you very much because your body looks very well. Well, what about if every one of your reasons disappear? What about if your wife loses her voice, if that was the reason why you liked it? Then suddenly your reason for loving the person has gone away. Love is a commitment. It's a commitment to a person and it doesn't have to do with anything else because it's premised on my commitment to the person. Love, agape, is love that is unconditional. So God wants you to walk in that kind of love. That is the kind of love we have for the brothers. So when the scriptures say love, your, love God first and then it tells you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. The reason for that is that you cannot love the brother correctly unless you have received the love of the father. But when you have received the love of God, you can love anyone. Because when you love yourself, 
and you do not have the love of the Father, you will love yourself for the wrong reason. I love myself because I went to Harvard. No, you can only love those who went to Harvard. I love myself because I'm like this. Then you can only love those who are like you. But when you have the love of God, which is the all-inclusive love, God loves everybody. That's one thing I know for sure. And I've seen all kinds of people, even people who are terribly notorious, but the love of God is still real. It may be that they are walking in rebellion to the love of God, but God still loves them. God, there's nothing you can do to make God not love you. Do you understand that? Nothing. There is nothing you can do also to make God love you more. (laughs) God loves you enough. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. I want you to increase your love. No, God does not increase in love. He already loves you. His love is perfect. His love is enough for you in all your life. I believe that when you think about that, that when God puts his love inside us and we walk in that love, worship and everything about our faith, everything about our Christian experience. You know, the scriptures teach us, Romans chapter 8 is an amazing scripture. And it tells us that all things work together for good. All churches love that. And they forget that it says, to those who what? Love him. (laughs) And the scripture teaches that there is nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God. Whether they are heights or mountains, creatures or anything else, nothing can separate us from the love of God. To understand that was precious for a person like me. I grew up in a culture that did not, that does not have a normal way of showing love. And sometimes the experiences of life are very painful. That you can actually be bitter all your life. One day someone was asking me and he was saying, how did you navigate through all this? And you emerge out of the whole horrific stories of life and still have the peace, tranquility, and the joy of the Lord. No, you don't understand the love of God. Let me say this to you, brothers and sisters. God's love will repair everything in your life. It doesn't matter whether you went through a bitter divorce. It doesn't matter whether you were rejected by everybody. It doesn't matter whether you went through atrocious circumstances. The love of God can mend and heal all that. I think one of the greatest books that has ever been written out of this country is a story about a man who actually, his father was killed by a tribal group in South America for being a missionary among them, speared to death. And yet years later, as a young man, he grew up, knew the same God that his father knew, who decided to go exactly to the same tribe that killed his father, found exactly the very man that butchered his father. And they appear standing together arm in arm, now every one of them served. And I think, what could do that? There's no drink that you can take which can help you to deal with that. There's no medication from the pharmacy that can help you to deal with that. But the love of God mends all these things because it's shared abroad in our hearts and it helps us to deal with every circumstance of life because finally it is Him and it proceeded from the Father. And as we reciprocate His love, that's what brings normalcy. Love can repair any incident in life that may have happened. You know, when you talk to a psychologist and you talk to a Christian pastor, As a preacher, I can tell you that you will be made whole. Maybe the psychologist may not tell you that. Let me tell you many lectures of going through digging memories of the past, what happened and this, that needed to happen and da-da-da-da. No, I am telling you that the reason why I can assure you that no matter what has happened to you, you can be made whole in the gospel is because the love of God is enough for every single person. I believe God heals anything through his love. And so the scriptures teach us that you know, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians, I didn't share this, 1 Corinthians 2, 
the scriptures show us that that which the eyes of men have not seen and the ears of men have not heard. And that which is, nothing like it has ever been known. That's what God has prepared for those that what? Love him. <laughs> and you know that scripture, sometimes we use it for funerals. It's got nothing to do with funerals. Because it's really talking, if you look at the next verse, it's talking about the treasures of the spirit. The way how the spirit of God works in our lives. It goes beyond the things that we have learned by mere senses and the exposure of our senses. Or knowledge as we know it in this world. That's the amazing things that God has, cre- has built inside us by His Spirit because His love is at work within us. I believe that to love God is the greatest and the most important thing that our faith hinges on. Today I'm old enough to understand that everything that I thought was the basis of my Christian faith. and I, Now, I realize that what keeps me going is this affection that exists between me and my Mecca. If you don't love God enough, you may not survive the whole trip. Because all of these other things will fade away and they are nothing but passing by. But the love of God lives and when it's inside you, no matter what anyone else say. You know, I always think about the fact that to survive in church and to live in the house of God, no matter what anyone else would do, but God's love can keep me through and through. I, I am there because I truly love him. And I love my God and I love him no matter what. I know for sure I do love God. So I appreciated some of the songs that I was hearing even from the first service, talking about the love of God. And, uh, you know, I, I, I always think about this, that when I hear expressions of love, the very fact that I do love God, can you imagine that? What could you do? No wonder why Paul asks this question. What can separate us from the love of God? What could men do that could take you away from your affection to Jesus Christ? What is it that anyone can do? And what kind of piece of news could possibly cause you to drift away? Do you know that when the scriptures talk about our backsliding, the real thing that the Bible says we lose is called our first love. Is that right? Yes. That's what the scriptures say. They lost their what? First love. And I believe that there are many of you who probably look at themselves in those circumstances. And say there was a time when all this was not an agonizing experience. But worship and enjoying the presence of God was all I desired. Those are the expressions we read from the psalmist and every one of them in scripture. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And you hear David talking about the fact that for a, to spend time in your presence, to behold your glory, to see the beauty of your holiness, that's all I desire. I believe that loving God is the greatest force that keeps you established in the kingdom of God. And the only thing no one else can take away from you. Now, we can take away a position from you. It's possible. <laughs> so sometimes when my whole life in faith is based on a position, I'm about to be disappointed. Because it could happen that I may lose the position or the position may no longer be necessary. My whole life is based on a love with my maker. That affection, that principle, this is the consummation of the whole law. And this is the most important of all, to love him with all my being. Can we pray before the Lord? Thank you, Lord. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your love that was shared abroad in our hearts. And we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in spreading it within us 
Thank you for helping us to be able to reciprocate this love. Thank you for teaching us to walk in love. Thank you for helping us to love the brothers as you have loved us. Thank you for your love. We honor you for what you are doing today in our lives. May our affection for you ever increase. May our devotion to Christ ever be prompted and motivated by love. May nothing else ever replace the love of Jesus Christ. And may you take every one of us to our first love. And I pray, Lord, that for any that may be hurting today, may the love of God heal every bruise, every hate, every pain, every bitterness in our lives. May the love of Jesus Christ minister to our lives in every area of our being. May we find wholeness in you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters.